you can open it to the book of Acts, chapter 12. The book of Acts, chapter 12. And if you need a Bible this morning to follow along with us, if you just lift up your hand, the ushers are walking up and down the aisles right now, and they'll drop a Bible off to you so you can follow along with us in our study. Acts chapter 12. I don't think that there is a better way ever, anywhere, to start a service than to say, open up your Bibles. (laughs) Right? To get into the Word of God. Because we don't care what men thinks or what church opinions are. We want to hear what God says. Amen? Amen? And so we open up our Bibles this morning. Jesus... In speaking of what I believe to be the days that we are living in, said that conditions on earth would be such that there would be distress of nations with perplexity. And that word perplexity is an interesting word because it's the only time that that word is used in the New Testament. And what that word perplexity means is that there would be problems having no solution. That there would be problems to which there are no solutions. If you were here Wednesday night, I I posed this question. I said, how many congressmen does it take to screw in a light bulb? (laughs) The answer is two. One, to stand behind a podium and tell you that they are doing everything possible to address the problem. And the other one, to screw a light bulb into a water faucet. Now, if you're paying attention to what's going on in the world, that's funny to you. Because that's almost exactly what is going on in our country and also in our world right now. Problems and the solutions just create more problems, you see. And that's what Jesus said would be the condition of the world in these days. But then he went on to say that the result of that, the result of problems that have no solution, would be, listen, that men's hearts would be failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon planet Earth. That the result of the situation that's going on in the world would be essentially, and this is what that means, that people would be giving up hope. That as they look around and see the things that are going on, as they assess the future and the outcome of their current conditions and situations, the conclusion that they would come to is that there's no hope and that they would be giving up hope. Now when you and I look around the world today and we see the problems that we're facing, the complexity of the problems. And we see the advancement of wickedness that's going on. And we see the unraveling of everything that's stable, everything kind of just unwinding and and falling to shreds right in front of our eyes. It can be a little bit overwhelming, can't it? And if it was just out there in the world, if it was just the world's problems and we as the church were insulated and unaffected by it, then that would be okay. We would at least have some solace in that. But the reality is that it isn't just out there. Is that the same problems that are being faced out in the world are also touching the lives of God's people, affecting the church of Jesus Christ. With the rising rates of unemployment, 
with the increase of economic instability, with the perplexity of health issues that are constantly arising, that are hitting close to home. You know, I just read this week about an outbreak of tuberculosis in Los Angeles that's resistant to drugs, and they say thousands of people exposed to it. I read this week about a young girl who was successfully cured of cancer, and as she was in her follow-up treatment, she put hand sanitizer on her hands and spontaneously caught on fire. <laughs> I mean, it just seems that every single day there is distress being thrust upon us and to add to everything else that we're already going through. Dysfunction and problems with our families. The increase of anxiety and worry as it relates to the future, as it relates to what maybe ever would be retirement or what our families will become or, or, or what will become. Or what our country will become? Or will there be war? And it's just like, there's more and more and more and more. And the question that many of us have as we consider all of these things is, where is the Lord? Because, because doesn't the Bible talk about the power that he promises to give? And doesn't it talk about the, the providence that he will provide? And doesn't it talk about his favor, that he'll give favor to his people? And that, that he's going to, you know, protect us. Where is God in all that's going on in the world today? And so we come to our text here in Acts chapter 12. And we find an answer to that question, the question of what's going on in the world as we know. Now, a little bit of background to our text, because we are jumping into a book in chapter 12. The book of Acts is the story of the early church. The church began on the day of Pentecost. The story is recorded in Acts chapter 2. Now, by the time we get to chapter 12, where we are in our study, the church is about 10 years old. The church has existed for about 10 years at the point of the text that we are in. Now, what had started back in Acts chapter 2 as a time of unparalleled blessing and power, and outpouring, and providence, and people getting saved by the thousands every time the church got together, what started that way has now, by this time, turned into somewhat of a sour situation. Things have turned slightly. They're not the way they once were. Wherein, at the beginning, thousands were getting saved almost daily. By this time, the crowds are starting to dwindle. The seats are emptying because of the persecution and the scattering that's going on at this time. So the numbers of the disciples are less and less. What started as a time of provisions and resources and abundance at the beginning, now by this time those resources, that providence has dwindled and people are beginning to suffer economically. To boot, there's a famine that we read about in the, the last verses of chapter 11 that, that is coming upon that area. So there's an economic downturn to add to the lack of resources that already exists. And then finally, we recognize that early on, Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that the church had great favor with all of the people. And what we find now is that there is an intensifying persecution and they are being afflicted by the people. And so that's the background of what happens by the time we get to Acts chapter 12. And now it goes from bad to worse as we get into the text. Notice with me in verse 1. It says, now about that time, 
Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Now, Dr. Luke, who authored the book of Acts, faithfully points out to us here, on purpose, I believe, that Herod the king stretched out his hands to vex certain of the church. And what we discover right off the bat at the beginning of this chapter is that King Herod, who has jurisdiction over this realm, that he has the upper hand. Whereas before, the church had been unstoppable. Nothing could, could, could seemingly hinder the steamrolling progression of the gospel. Now it seems that the tables have turned and King Herod holds all the cards. Notice as we move on. Verse 2, it says, And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now this is no small thing. We know that Jesus had 12 apostles. That there were 12 men that Jesus called alongside, that he trained and cultivated and sent out into the ministry. But of those 12, there were three men that were in the inner circle of Jesus. There was Peter, James, and John, the two brothers. They were with him on the occasions when he would just take a small group with him or when he would go to pray and just take a couple of the guys. It was always Peter, James, and John. And James was not just one of the background apostles that we don't read much about. He's one of the chief of the apostles. And here now, James, who is a pillar, one of the originals, one of the founders, if you would, one of the anchors of the church, now he's been killed with the sword by the hand of this Herod. And then it says in verse 3, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him or arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions, that means 16, 16 men, of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So not only does he kill James, but now he arrests Peter, intending to do unto him likewise as he had done unto James because of the favor that he would receive from the Jews. And so to sum it all up, this is the state, this is what the church is facing outwardly as they kind of assess their condition or the circumstances that they're in. First of all, the church is shrinking. It seems like they're losing momentum. Second of all, people are hurting. There's an economic downturn. They're suffering need. Third, Herod holds the cards. He's in control. Fourth, James is dead. And fifth, Peter's in prison. And things aren't looking so good for the church at this point. And many of them were asking, as they looked at the things that were going on around them, Lord, why? Where are you in all of this? Are you finished with us? Have you forgotten your people? Have you left us off? Why it started so well, and why is it coming now to this? Well, let's read the text as we go on. It says, verse 5, it says that Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers kept the uh, the keepers before the door kept the prison. 
Now, Peter had a reputation for being a little bit slick. He's escaped before by the hand of God, by the grace of God. And so this time, Herod, knowing that reputation, he goes the extra mile to secure Peter, chaining each arm with a separate chain, putting a guard in the cell with him, one on the right hand and one on the left, and then the rest of them standing right outside of the door. But notice verse 7, nothing is too hard for the Lord. It says, and behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not or knew not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He thought he was dreaming. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the people of the Jews. I love this story because Peter is just like us, isn't he? Here he is, and he's in the middle of a situation where he is being miraculously delivered from an impossible situation. And he doesn't even recognize that the Lord is in it until it's all over. I don't know if that happens to you, (laughs) but it happens to me. You know, you get into a situation where you say, there's no way out of this. I'm chained on the left. I'm chained on the right. Satan's got me in on every side. There's no way out of this. And, And meanwhile, the Lord is doing this thing and he's doing this thing and he's arranging this thing right in front of your eyes. It's not hidden from you. You're a part of it. And then the circumstance passes, the trial goes away, you're still standing, you're still alive, and finally, a month later, you go, you know what? That was the Lord. The Lord did that. We're a lot like Peter. I will give him this, though. He's got this on me. He's got a lot on me, but he's got this on me. I'm not sure if I would be sleeping so soundly (laughs) that all of that could happen. I I would, the night before my execution, I would probably be awake. (laughs) So he he had that on me. He truly had that trust, you know, that maybe I lack a little bit. But, but, But read on, because not only is Peter just like us, so are the rest of the disciples. Notice this, verse 12. It says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. That's John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. So a young girl who was part of the prayer meeting goes to the door. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, 
It's his angel. It's a ghost. Now, I love this. I love this. Because here's the scene. Put yourself there, a fly on the wall. And they're all gathered. You've all been a part of that, the small prayer group. And they're gathered in a home, and they're praying. And, and so there's bowed heads and somber mood. And someone's head is bowed. Their fist is clenched. And they're speaking forth. And they're saying, Lord, please deliver Peter. We can't survive. James is dead, and now Peter, and then, and then John, Lord, and, and we're just not ready yet. We need the stability of that. Lord, please set Peter free. Nothing's... And then... Oh, Rhoda, go get that. Lord, please. And so, so there's a shuffle, and then all of a sudden, Rhoda comes running back in, and she says, it's Peter. It's Peter. He's out there at the gate. And, and they, they literally, they say, Rhoda. We're having a prayer meeting here. <laughs> Peter's in prison. That's why we're praying. It's not Peter. Oh, get some sleep. And so, Lord, we pray. Please, Lord, please set Peter free. Please deliver him from the prison. Deliver him from the expectation of the Jews. And then, no, no, it's Peter. I'm sure of it. I saw him with my eyes. I heard his voice. Look, it's his ghost, Rhoda. It's his ghost. We're praying here. You know, a lot like us, right? (laughs) How much faith did they have in their prayer that they were offering for Peter? About a mustard seed worth. Not too much, right? But sure enough, Peter had been delivered. Well, read on. It says in verse 16, But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So he didn't join them. He didn't stick around. He knew that he would be on the Herod's most wanted list, you know. So he decided to lay low for a while. And so he moves into another region, but it says now, here's the the fallout for the soldiers. Meanwhile, back at the palace, verse 18. It says, now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers, and that would always be by scourging. They would whip them with the cat of nine tails and and, and exert, extract a confession, you know. And then it says that he commanded that they should be put to death. Now, the rule, the law of the day was that if a prisoner escaped from your hand while you were the officer in charge of keeping him, then you would suffer the fate of the prisoner. And so in that these men were killed, we understand what Herod was intending to do with Peter. But these men lose their lives and it says that Peter went down from Judea to Caesarea and there he abode. So what's the outcome of all of this as we look at verse 20? It says, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. So he gives them a speech. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him 
because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. What was their ministry? Do you know what their ministry was? They had taken up a collection, an offering from the churches up in Syria and around Antioch to bring economic relief to the church in Jerusalem that was under economic hard times. And so once they fulfilled their ministry, they left, and it says that they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So they took John Mark with them as they went. Now listen carefully. At the beginning of this chapter, the church was shrinking. There was economic hard times. Herod held the cards. James was dead, and Peter was imprisoned. At the end of the chapter, which was just a couple of days after the beginning of the chapter, now Herod's dead. Peter's free. There's economic relief that has reached the church. And, uh, you know, the um, church is growing again. It says that the word of God multiplied and increased. Everything is 100% different at the end of the chapter than it was at the beginning of the chapter. And what was the hinge upon which the tables turned for the church? It's Acts chapter 12, verse 5. It says, but prayer was offered to God of the church without ceasing for him. That was the catalyst. I know in the days that we're living in right now, every single one of us is facing some kind of an impossible situation. There's not one person that's in this room right now that when I say that, there's not something that comes into your mind that you say, if I could change one thing about my life, or if I could change ten things about my life, I know exactly what they'd be. But they're all impossible. There's no solution. There's no way it could ever turn around. And I talk to people constantly that, that, that talk to me about these things that they're going through. And they'll pour out their heart and there's tears in their eyes and there's frustration in their face and a furrow in their brow as they describe what's going on in their life. And oftentimes I'll ask the question and very sensitively, just, you know, I'll say, I don't mean to offend you by this, but just to start at the beginning. Are you praying? Are you praying about this? And inevitably, almost 99.9% of the time that I ask that question, I get one of these responses. I get, well, uh, uh, I prayed about it. Yeah, I prayed about it. Yeah, I prayed about it. And it's almost as if they say, yeah, 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 I, I, I have a post-it note and I put it on God's bulletin board and it's there. It's, it's waiting for processing. And at some point, when maybe he has a free minute, when he's not, you know, addressing a war in Iran or a nuclear bomb in North Korea or, you know, a a burned down orphanage somewhere in a third world country, then maybe he'll get to my wayward child or my unpaid bills or, or whatever. Listen, listen, you've got the wrong mentality. See, it's not it's not about, well, I've got the request in and, and it'll get there. No. Are you praying? Are you holding it up before the Lord in constant communion with him, waiting on him for for an answer, for something that he's going to do? 
Are you praying to him or is it just a thing? People think, well, God is too busy to be concerned with my need or my thing. No, 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 no. God is not too busy. Let me tell you right now. God's not too busy to deal with your thing. In fact, on the contrary, God is bored. Because our God is so big and his capacity is so huge and his resources are so unlimited and so indescribable that he can handle everything that's going on in the world all at one time with his finger work, spinning a basketball on his pinky and whistling, waiting for someone to ask him. Because he says, ask. He says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. So are you praying or have you given up in frustration? See, they had no idea while they were praying in that room that God was doing things behind the scene. That there were 10 things going on that they could never understand. That they could never figure out. They had no idea that while they were praying, an angel was breaking the chains of Peter. They had no idea that while they were praying, Saul and Barnabas were on their way from Syria, bringing everything that the church would need, that the check was in the mail, so to speak. They had no idea that while they were praying, Herod, who held the cards, was preparing a speech that would end in his destruction, his demise. And so for them to have stopped praying, what cost would that have been to to maybe cut the wheels off of those things that were happening? Are you praying? Are you holding up that thing before the Lord? Other people, they'll say, you know, my thing... I, I don't pray. I don't really like, I don't do that thing where I, I you know, fold the hands or get on my knees. And, and I think. I don't pray, I think. And I think a lot. So I'll, you know, assess different things. And that's kind of how I pray. Let me challenge that for a minute. Because it is true that, yes, you can pray without mouthing words. You can pray quietly and God reads our thoughts. Yes, that is true. But that does not mean that all thought is registered as prayer. You understand? I think, I think all the time. My wife sometimes has to shake me and say, stop thinking, you know. She'll literally say to me, sometimes I wish I had your mind, but not most of the time, (laughs) you know. Because, yeah, I think all the time. And here's what I've discovered is that I can think about my problems. I can brainstorm and mind map and come up with things and solutions. I can do that for a week and never once have touched heaven with even one of them. But to pray means that I am making a concerted effort to turn my attention towards God, zero out every other thing, every other factor, and talk to my Father about the thing or the things that are going on in my life and to lay my petition and cast my cares before him specifically. And it's amazing how when you do that, you feel like you've connected with heaven. You've touched heaven. Jesus told us that God knows our thoughts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus said, the Father already knows the things that you need before you ask him. He already knows that. But he said that in the same sentence he was telling us, pray, pray, pray. Talk to the Father about the things that are going on uh, in your life, the things that are on your heart, the things that are bothering you, uh, that you need help for. Sometimes people say to me, they say, well, okay, here's my thing, is that couldn't God, if he wanted to, couldn't he just stop the problem from coming? I mean, if if my prayer was going to make a difference in the turnout of things, then why wouldn't God just stop it from happening in the first place? 
And so that's why I don't pray, because God's will is going to be done regardless. And so what part does my prayer play in the thing? No, no, that's flawed reasoning. Ask the people that buried James. Who knows that perhaps it was that the church, when James was arrested, they just said, ah, he's James. God's going to get him out of this. I mean, look at how many times, these are the apostles. These aren't the disciples. These are the apostles, you know. Nothing bad happens to them. God's going to work it out. The next thing, the word comes back that James is dead. The sword has pierced him. And what it did is it drove the church to their knees. They said, Lord, we need you. (laughs) Yeah, he knows. But our prayer plays a part. And he is doing so many things that you and I can never understand behind the circumstances that we face. That for us to just throw it up and say, well, God, you don't care about how this is affecting me because of something else that you're doing is to deny the Lord his opportunity to show himself strong on your behalf. And thus the Bible tells us that we're to pray. Other people tell me this. They say, well, you know, my thing with prayer is this, that I just don't know if I believe God, that he's going to work in this. I, I just don't think I have faith. I can't pray about this with faith because I just, I, I, I'm a pessimist. I'm a half gla- glass half empty kind of guy. And, and I just can't pray about this. I'm just not sure if I believe it. What about the disciples in Rhoda's house? How much faith did they have as they were praying, asking God to work in their situation? So doubtful were they that God wasn't going to come through that when the answer hit them in the face and knocked on their door, they still didn't believe it. And it says that when they saw him, they were astonished. This works? We can pray and something happens? You know. And they were amazed by it. So don't let that be the excuse. Oh, I just don't know if I believe. No, pray, pray. Are you praying? Some people say, well, Nick, it's none of those things. I'm good with all of it. I know that God can do it. I know that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are bigger than our ways. I know that he's a refuge and a strength. And none of that is my problem. Here's my problem. Here's here's what circum you know, vents my prayer life or cuts me off at the feet. Here's what it is. Who am I? Who am I? Why would God want to listen to me? I I understand why he would listen to Billy Graham's prayer or why he would listen to, you know, Pastor Bobby's prayer when he prays or why he would, you know, do what he's doing for for, for Brother, you know, Smith, who's so faithful. I understand that, but I'm not those things. I'm not that guy. And I have nothing before God. Listen to me. Listen to me, you who think that you have no voice or no right to talk to God. Listen to me. God so loved you that he gave his only son to put on human flesh and walk the same soil that you and I walk and to go through the same problems and live the same kind of life that we live and face the same temptations and the same trials that you and I face. But to do that with absolute perfection and then to climb a hill carrying his own cross and then to be crucified there and to bleed out and die with the express intent of paying with his own blood the price for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. 
And God sent his son to do that because he loved you and wanted you close to him and wanted you to hear his voice and wanted you to call for him for help and wanted you to receive his strength and his hand in your trial. And here's what happens, you who says I'm not worthy. Here's what happens when you receive that gift. When you take him by the hand and receive the check that's made out in your name to pay for your sins. When you receive that check, here's what happens. First of all, 15 semi-truck loads of your sin are backed into the loading dock of heaven. So here it comes, here it comes, beep, beep. And it comes up, and it, the door goes up, and there's your sin. All of it. All of it. And the stench just barrels out. And everybody on the loading dock has the masks on and the whole thing. And Jesus stands there with a clipboard. And it's got your name on it. And he sees that the transaction has passed, that you now belong to him. And so all of those sins are itemized on his inventory report. And he looks at those things, and he goes, all right, uh, yep, I'm going to pay for that one. And I'm going to pay for that one. And I'm pay, I paid for that one. Covered, covered. Go ahead, get rid of it. Paid for it. Gone, gone, gone. Yep, got him. And, and they go, okay, get this one out of here. And then the next truck comes in. <laughs> Door, <laughs> the stench comes in. You know, and, and, and load after load after load, every single specific sin, even the ones that you didn't commit yet, he says, I'm taking all of this. And what you get in exchange, after the whole thing is done, he's checked everything off, they're all put away, here's what he does. He hands you a placard with his name on it. He says, you are now taking my name. That's what it means to be a Christian. We, we talk about, you know, Christian, it means little Christ. And just like, you know, we, we see a man and a woman stand up here and make vows to one another. And, and the woman, she pledges her allegiance. She takes the name of her husband. We do the same thing. We give our lives to Christ and he gives us his name. And we are what the Bible calls placed. At that point, we are placed in Christ. We are linked with him. And here's what that means. It's true, we are nothing. I am nothing. You are nothing. We are less than nothing. But once we take his name, now we have his name. We are in him. Here's what happens. Is that we pray. We say, Father, this seems such a small thing in the grand scheme of everything that's going on in the world. But it's suffering to me. It's affliction to me. It's hurtful to me. I don't understand where you are in this or how it's going to work out. And Lord, would you please work in this situation? Would you please send deliverance? Would you please give me victory? Would you please lift off this temptation? Would you please bring resources? Or whatever it is that we do. And we offer that prayer. And, and, and the voice of our prayer reaches the Father's ear while he's spinning the basketball and working all things and running the universe and everything. And he says, ah, oh, Someone's praying. And so he turns his head to see where that prayer is coming from. And he sees his son. Because you're in his son. And so the voice is coming out of his son. And let me tell you something. Though you are nothing, though I am nothing, when the son speaks, the father listens. And your prayer comes through the mouth of his son. And that brothers and sisters, gives us an audience with God. That avails his grace and his greatest resources to us in unlimited abundance to whatever we need. So can I ask you this morning, are you praying? 
the circumstance that you're facing, the thing that when I talk about this causes the tears to well up in your eyes or causes your heart to ache or causes your brow to furrow? Are you praying about it? Are you calling out on the Lord? Are you without ceasing holding that before his throne and saying, Father, your word tells me that you care. And though I can't understand and don't see how all of this fleshes out in light of everything else that's going on in the world, you said I could pray. Will you move in the circumstance? Will you move in the situation? And the Bible tells us that if we ask anything in his name, because we have his name, then he hears us. And if you don't know Jesus Christ personally this morning, I pray for you that you would call upon him to have your semi-trucks backed into the loading dock of heaven. That you would give your life to him and that his name would be given to you, the gift of his salvation. For those of us that know him, in these days where we're facing impossible situations, how much more do we need to call upon a God who can do the impossible? Amen? Worship team can come. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. says that our God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. He desires for us to call upon him. The story is told, and it's a true story, of a dying saint, a man who served God for most of his life, was fruitful, was effective, and on his deathbed, his son came to him, and his son followed in his footsteps, His son was serving in the ministry, following the the ways of his father. And as the son came to the bedside of his father, he looked at his father and he said, Dad, your life has counted. You've done so much. It's worked for you. And so, Dad, what would you say to me? As you're about to launch off into heaven, what would your dying word to me be as I take up the sword and follow your ways? And you know what the dad said to his son? He looked at him and he said, Son, I believe that God will alter natural law and human government when the name of Jesus is held before his throne. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you so desperately long to have a relationship with us. That you didn't call us into a religion. You didn't call us into a book or into a ritual or a routine. But you've called us into a conversation. You've called us to intimacy. You've called us to know you. You've called us to understand who you are and that your ways would be revealed unto us. And so right now, Father, each one of us, right where we are, we lay our heart open before you. We repent of our prayerlessness, Lord, our lack of trust, our lack of calling upon you our over-dependence upon our natural minds and our own ability to figure things out and work things out. And we would pray, Lord, that you would search us right now. That you would renew the power of your Spirit within our lives. That you would stir up faith. And that we would call upon you, believing you, Lord, trusting you. And that your word, the things that we've heard this morning, this testimony that you've laid out for us in the pages of scripture, that it would resonate in our soul. And so, Father, we ask you to draw near to each one of us. We ask you to hear our prayer. We ask you to help us in our time of need. And that you would show yourself strong on our behalf. We thank you so much, Lord, for the faith 
for the love, for the gift of salvation, and for your work within our lives. Be with us, Father. Help us to take this word and help us to do the thing that you've asked us to do, to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. The pastors will be up in the front of the church after the service. If you maybe need a jump start, you say, you know, there's things and I've been far and would you just pray for me? The pastors will be up in the front after the service. Come on up and we'll pray for you. In Jesus' name, let's all stand.